Well, I feel the first time I was up here, I was talking a bit more to uh, those that consider this family. If you are a, uh, a guest here, I have three things I'd like to say to you. First of all, I'd love to exchange information with you, and you can do that by grabbing the little thing in front of you in the pew and fill it, filling that out, handing it to me or someone else. It'll get to me, and we'll get you some more information about our church. Second thing I'd like to point out to you is literally a point. Uh, there are blue arrows all over this church. And they lead you through a maze to a room way back in the farthest corner. We make it a challenge here uh, to find a place called Anything Goes. Every Sunday at 9.15, this is a place for someone who's new, got questions, want to know what this place is about. Really, more importantly, uh, what God's about, what's going on. Uh, Any question you've got, um, yeah, I'm about to say I've got the answer to. Yeah, not. But... Uh, we are willing to entertain and talk about and wrestle with. And so we encourage you to be a part of that. It happens every single Sunday at 9.15. I'm there along with Scott Millard. Uh, Safe place to come and just find out some more. We encourage you to do that. Enter the building anywhere and you'll find these arrows. It'll take you there. And then one more thing. A number of you who are new have signed up for and going to be joining us for a reception right after this service. That door right there, if you just go through that door and turn to your right, the hallway goes this way, snakes around. The room's actually right through there, but they probably don't want you cutting through here. But anyway, uh, just through that door, down this hallway, follow it, and uh, tables are set up. Uh, There's a whole number of you that have signed up for it. uh, We're really looking forward to that. This is for people who don't know who the leadership are, have not met the staff, don't know what the plan is of this church is all about, and uh, you don't know many people here. If you fit in that category and you haven't signed up, you're welcome as well. You get a free meal today. You can ha- uh, we're more than happy to have you come. Just when the service is over, go out through there, and uh, we'll be together from 12.15 to about 2 o'clock. We have child care as well provided, and so if you're a guest here, we'd love to have you today. We'll be doing these every once in a while, uh, but today's your opportunity to participate if you'd like to. Now, Uh, You have a bulletin. It was given to you. People work hard to make that happen. I'm not going to stand up here and read it to you again. There's lots of information in there. There are some inserts that are very important. If you looked in the gym, you noticed that the Tot to Teen clothing exchange is going on. These flyers are around for you to look at, and it tells you about that. This is in there about Market Street, our collecting of coats for people in need and uh, using our facility to help them with that. That also is something that's in there you can find out about. There's a concert this Saturday here at the church. Puppet ministry announcement is in there. It's very important. There's an ESL opportunity. Read your bulletin! That's an order. Thank you. Got that done. i just wake you up now. And now the most important thing. As I said earlier, we have Sundays like this to engage our mind in what uh, God is doing beyond our walls, both near and far. Predictably, this year we wanted this particular focus, a Sunday, to touch on service. Imagine that. (laughs) And what that could mean. There's nothing quite like seeing that done. And so I wanted you to get a taste of that. It shows us it's possible for us as well. And there's not, nothing quite as compelling as someone who does it with a spirit of humility to boot. And you are going to appreciate the humble character of the man that you're uh, about to listen to this morning. His name is Zach Guyton, and he grew up here in New Jersey. He, I proudly say, is a graduate of the same school that I went to, Columbia International University in South Carolina. And he went there uh, to become a missionary like I did. 
uh, God took that missionary heart and brought him back to New Jersey, near and far. Uh, this is a mission field as well. For the last 10 years, he has been ministering in a sister church of ours in West Orange, New Jersey. God took that missionary heart and kept it near instead of far. This is a Scandinavian church in a neighborhood that's no longer Scandinavian. And through Zach's leadership, under the Lord's leading, has been finding ways to engage uh, this community with the love and the message and the behavior of Jesus Christ. And starting with what was considered trespassing and graffiti and thoughts of bigger gates to keep these young people off their property have turned into a ministry of sports and recreation, an entire basketball league, after-school homework help, a safe place for people uh, to be mentored and discipled with plans and hopes of future means of even more improved education opportunities. For these efforts, Zach was recently conferred the honor of Citizen of the Year by the city of West Orange and given the opportunity and access to the use of their facilities for his ministry if that would help him continue to influence these young people in that place. Zach, may the Lord bless you uh, as you open your word, uh, his word, to us and speak through you. And would you please welcome Zach Guyton to Bethlehem Church. Praise the Lord. It is so good to be with you all on this morning. I've been here on several occasions over the past 10 years for different things, district-wide, some of your church events, and uh, just really appreciate the hospitality that I've always felt when I've come here to Bethlehem. And uh, I bring you greetings from um, Bethany, Bethany Church, Bethany Evangelical Free Church in West Orange. And uh, a few of my people know a few of you all, and they gave me some names, but I can't remember them, but told me to tell you hello and so forth. <laughs> So uh, really a treat to be here and to have my wife and my son with me this morning as well. Uh, you are, are a congregation of great faith. I know that because I just looked and uh, I noticed you have a very small clock there that the, preacher is, that the preacher's looking at. My church has a big one, a big one. They do not trust when we preachers get up that we will remember what time it is. So I'm straining to see that one there. Uh, so I appreciate your faith, but we will uh, trust the Holy Spirit to give us grace. But really a privilege to be with you all and to be with you here on, on this, uh, this special Sunday, Mission Sunday. And uh, uh, your pastor just enjoyed getting to know him and uh, uh, just his heart for the Lord and certainly his heart to take the gospel to those who, who don't know it and haven't embraced it. And uh, uh, we just, just hope the Lord will use us in these moments. Uh, I'd like to just pray again and ask for God's favor upon our time in his word. Great and mighty God, there is none like you. We've sang of you. We have tasted of your goodness. We ask now, come Holy Spirit, encourage our heart, open our eyes that we might see wondrous things from your word and the glory of Christ might be ever fresh to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Job chapter 29 is, is uh, where I'd like to draw our thoughts from this morning. I won't completely exposit that in our time this morning, but Job chapter 29 uh, verses 7 through 17 uh, is, is where I'll be, be, be gathering our thoughts from. And uh, uh, we've titled this one, Godly Questions Every Christian Can Ask. Godly Questions Every Christian Can Ask. 
And uh, I, I found on my journey with the Lord that this, this book has been a great help to me. And, um, but these three questions I, I'd like, want us to meditate on maybe this morning. How did we get here? What would you have us to do? How do we best incarnate the gospel? How did we get here? Here, These are questions we, we should be asking the Lord, I believe, regularly. How did we get here? What would you have us to do? How do we best incarnate the gospel? The, the book of Job is uh, a book of questions. Uh, some of you all were familiar with this, this great book or are aware of that. 42 chapters. Uh, those first 37 chapters are filled with suspense and uh, uh, anguish of, of unanswered questions, really. Um, you just see in those first three chapters... Uh, itself, you see questions happening. God, God questioning Satan. Uh, Satan questioning God. Of course, Job follows you. Look what you do for him. If you let me touch him, you'd see. Uh, Satan, I mean, uh, Job's wife questioning Job. Are you going to hold on to your integrity? And then Job asking that that ever powerful question: Should we? receive good from the Lord and not trouble? Uh, they may be rhetorical questions, but they're very real. And over and over again in this, this book, the, 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 for 37 chapters there where Job's friends are coming to him, you keep hearing questions, particularly from Job, when his friends at times seem to be, be so precise and they know so much. It seems when God shows up later, he, he, he certainly has some rebuke for Job, but he honors Job that he wasn't quite as arrogant as they were, being sure. But... but in his questioning, there was, there was some reverence. Uh, and then those last five chapters, when God shows up and begins to speak to Job, 77 questions. He asked Job 77 questions. He really doesn't give them, by the time you finish the book, if you, you're familiar with it, you know, he really never really answers Job's questions and, and my questions, to be honest, about pain and suffering and heartache. And in a very unique way, I believe Job, the God intended that Job, that why it's there in the scriptures for us is, is certainly the story of Job, but in a very real way, in a, in a very uh, way that maybe no other book in the Bible does, Job has a unique way that he, he points us to Christ. When we think of Job, and we think, we, most of you just hear the name Job, even the non-Christian hears the name Job, the, the first word that comes to their mind is suffering. Suffering. It's funny because my, my, my dad... My dad was a pastor, and uh, uh, my dad had seven sons and three daughters, like Job. If you know Job, Job had seven sons and three daughters. And uh, I grew up all the time hearing my dad say uh, 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 that, that we kind of had made him like Job. <laughs> I didn't realize till, until about my late teens that with tongue-in-cheek, he was saying we made him suffer a lot, <laughs> particularly our teenage years of rebellion. So... Uh, but, but, but the, you, you, you see a very special way. We, we see a, a precursor, if you will, to Christ when he's on the cross. Because the theme that runs through Job, because Job doesn't, he doesn't know what you and I know from chapter 1, that there's this thing going on where God is testing him. So, but but you, could, you could grasp maybe a theme that runs through the entire, entire discourse of the book is Job asking, Why hast thou forsaken me? What our Savior yells out on the cross there. 
My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In a very real sense, if you remember, in that engagement with Job and his, his three friends, he's, he's over and over again asking this question, why do I bear the wrath and curse that only seems fitting for the evil person? If you remember that, he's, he, you know, Job wasn't saying he was perfect, and his friends, they're definitely saying, Job, you did something wrong. Job doesn't, he says, I didn't do anything wrong to that level. He's saying, but, but, but I, I, there's something not right about this. Why? Do I bear the wrath and curse that it only seems fitting for the evil person? Remember, he doesn't have all the scripture you and I did at that point in time. And, and isn't that in some ways a picture ultimately to, to our Savior, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21? For he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. Christ is the ultimate one who really really bore the wrath and curse that only is fitting for an evil person. And he was no, no evil at all. Unlike Job, who, who, who had sin and knew he had some sin, he says, but not to this measure. Christ. That, that, that tension we feel throughout the book of Job, this just doesn't make sense. Why the... the and Job, Job knew. I mean, unlike many of us who blame it on the devil, if you remember, Job, Job keeps saying, no, no, this is the hand of God. God, this is you. That's why he's right. No, he's, no, God, this is you. I don't completely understand it. This is you, God. But ultimately, it's Christ. He who knew no sin bore the sin of, of you and I. The sin of an evil person. And Job anguishes. And we get to chapter 29 here and, and verse 7 through 17 where I'd like to draw our thoughts from. Job is responding, if you will. Chapter 22, a few chapters earlier, one of Job's so-called friends. These guys were, I think they were the largest part of his suffering. Uh, but, but one of them had accused Job of exploiting the needy, exploiting the poor. If you read that there in chapter 22, you can look over there. And he, he really dug into Job. He says, Job, you know why you're going through it? And he, he really lays into him. He says, you know, you had all this this wealth and all this status and everything, and you just abused your power and you, you took advantage of the poor and the needy and the stranger. And so I say that so that when you read that, you, when you read chapter 29, you realize Job isn't, this didn't just come out of a vacuum because Job is, is pretty sharp in his defense. And he, he's a humble man, I believe, and he, he didn't want to have to say this, but he, he defends himself. He defends himself. He says, verse, verse 7, When I went to the gate of the city and took my seat in the public square, the young men saw me and stepped aside. And the old men rose to their feet. The chief men refrained from speaking and covered their mouths with their hands. The voices of the nobles were hushed and their tongues stuck to the roof of their mouths. Whoever heard me spoke well of me and those who saw me commended me. I mean, this guy saying, I mean, when he, he, he showed up at the public square, he's saying, young men, old men, those who, who favored God and those who, even his enemies who didn't favor God, they, they, they whew, whew, here's Job. He was a man, what, he, what he's pointing us to, that he was a man of influence. And they knew it. And I believe he was, he was what we could say in, in, in New Testament terms, he's not just a man of influence, he was a man of gospel influence. 
He wasn't just a moral do-gooder and a social uh, 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 activist, if you will, when he points out in the rest of these verses what he did. He, he lays out before them, look what he says, the rest of that verse, verse 12 through 17. How, how everybody responded, they covered their mouths, they were in awe of him, they hushed. Why? Because I rescued the poor, verse 12, who cried for help. And the fatherless, who had none to assist him. The man who was dying, blessed me. I made the widow's heart sing. I put on righteousness as my clothing. Justice was my robe and my turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy. I took up the case of the stranger. I broke the fangs of the wicked and snatched the victims from their teeth. He's saying, listen, man, his, his reputation had preceded him. His, his integrity, when he came into the public arena, his integrity, his character, his, as in our modern term, his authenticity, even his enemies... It preceded him. They knew this guy was no show. He, he was nobody with all kind of power. You know how wealthy he was and all kind of power and wealth. But he was no bully because they wouldn't have responded that way. His authenticity, his integrity preceded him. And he was a man of, of influence. When you hear his testimony throughout this in, in Old Testament, I mean, it was a gospel influence. He wasn't just a moral do-gooder trying to do good and show people that he could be better than others. He had a God consciousness. He was aware of his own sinfulness, we believe, by the way he talks. He was aware that it was only by the mercy of God he had anything. And he wanted to represent that mercy. His influence came because... I think this, this is why, why amongst the people he had such influence. This is where, really where I'm camping at here, where I want to learn from. His influence came. When you see how he says what he did, how he was there for, for those who were needy and those who were dying, for the widow, for the stranger, for the one that everybody else would have made mock of, this guy who had all this status, all this wealth, who could have had an entourage. He... he his influence came because he was in the trenches. If anybody had, had the ability, if they wanted to detach themselves and buffer themselves from the complicated aspects of reality. See, reality is complicated, right? It's complicated. I mean, if you, if you want to live in an ivory tower, it's easy to throw darts at people. But as Christians, as pastors, as churchgoers, we all, we all know to some degree we walk in here on Sundays and we have to put on, I mean, if you, you know, we have to put on some level of a mask. Else you wouldn't want to sit with me and worship. I'd ruin your worship. If you knew the level of hypocrisy that still creeps up in my heart sometimes. If you knew the times that I, I, I want to I lash out and, and, and some of the failures we had during the course of the week. You knew the lack of insensitivity we had. We can be more, we can be kinder to the to the waitress sometimes in the in the diner who we don't know, and you know, thank you, and then just be just as you know off the cuff to the spouse who's, who has served us for many years. And come in here, and it just looks so good. The complicatedness of our own hearts 
but certainly in a broken world. I mean, you know, the media knows polarized. That's what gets gets people to watch. You know, so they they, they are good at pitting one side against the other. But the reality in a broken world, why people find themselves in the situations they do, are often much more complicated. But I tell you, you stay away from people, you, you can you can sanitize yourself. But the more you get involved with people. It's easier before you had a teenager to tell other parents, right? All they had to do, if they, I knew that child was going to end up wrong because they didn't bring them to Sunday school all the time, right? But then when your years come, you start saying, wait a minute, whose child is this? Right? You can wax philosophical till it's you. And you realize, this is complicated. Lord, where did, I, where did I go wrong? How did I get here? I thought I did it. I, I, didn't, I wasn't perfect, but Lord, we tried to instill values. We taught them. We took them to church. We, we, we didn't argue in front of them. How is this happening? It's much more complicated. And I believe one reason why Job has such influence, what he talks about when I walked in the gate, is, is they knew, man, this guy, who, who anybody could have buffered themselves and detached themselves from reality and just, you know, spewed off a nice speech and gave nice, wise words and awed people with his oratory, it was probably Job. And yet, they, they knew him. They said, man, this guy, for all he could be, this guy was known. He got in the trenches, man. He, he dealt with, with dying people. This guy who was holy and righteous, who, who at times had to cross. I'm sure there were people, who, his enemies at times, that he could have turned a blind eye to. If anybody could have bribed people, Job could have. He talks about his mercy and his justice. If anybody could have buffered themselves. But his integrity precedes him. His authenticity speaks for him because they know by the things he listed. When he talks about, I broke the fangs of the wicked and snatched the victims from their teeth. This means he, he got into some arenas that he, he risked himself. Job, everybody's not going to like you if you do that. Job says, you know what? I, I don't live for, for people's praise. Job, everybody's not going to understand you. I don't know about you. That, that's hard for me. Being misunderstood when I've done the best I can. I ain't there yet. Lord, pray for me. I still, my sanctification just has not arrived there yet. I still can get really in a deep stupor when I'm misunderstood. After all I've done, my wife's the one who hears this behind the closed door. I don't, I don't do anything, but I'm saying, oh, I mean, come on, honey, after all I've done, you believe I got treated like that? It's amazing how fast I can run. Does Job risk being misunderstood? He put himself out on the limb at times. And he didn't have to. That's why when he walked in and he walked in those circles, his influence came. He knew this was a man who had been in the trenches. Job demonstrated, I believe, the gospel with his doctrine. You can't have good, good, good gospel without good doctrine. A lot of people are do-gooders and social activists. And, you know, a lot of churches are doing a lot of good and great things in communities and so forth. But it's, it's not a gospel-centered witness. If you've watered the truth of Jesus Christ down, to say that you care deeply about human suffering here on earth, and yet you have a doctrine that doesn't believe the greatest suffering is eternal hell. And so I believe he's got a gospel 
centered care and compassion. That means he has good doctrine. He has, he has good worship. But incarnating the gospel, he has an attitude and a lifestyle and deeds that are consistent. And it speaks for him. And our challenge is putting flesh, our challenge, that's me, that's you, it's our generation. It's our churches. It's, it's, it's you and I in a country where, I, I, you know, I was riding here with my wife this morning. I rode by a, a baseball field and saw all these young people out there, you know, baseball league happening on a Sunday morning. And I, I'm, I'm 46 years old. And I just say, I said to my wife, man, things have changed. Things have just changed. It wasn't, even when I was growing up, it wasn't that way. And if it was, my parents wouldn't let me play on no Sunday morning. But I had non-church going friends when I was growing up whose parents wouldn't let them do that. I'm thinking, wow, America has changed. This is tough. And if we're, we're going to, we're, we, the people of God, are going are to have some influence, and certainly a gospel influence, I tell you, we, we, we're going to have to seek the face of God. And, 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 and I, I guess the main thing I want to say is I... I I don't think it comes with precise answers often. One reason why I'm constantly drawing to Job, my own journey for 40-something years, being around the church, being around ministry, I've given up, I think, on precise answers. On nice, polished, you know, easy answers, because life is complicated and a broken world, very complicated. But I do believe there's 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 a... Worship to God in the way we see passages like this, that, that he is on it when we're willing to ask those questions. How did I get here? I don't know how many times in counseling I, I've, I've, I've had that come out, either explicitly from the person I was counseling with or implicitly, basically saying, Pastor, you know, I, I don't know how I got here. You know, I, I thought I did it right. He said he was a Christian. I said I was a Christian. We got married. And now I, I just don't know how I got here. I have no feelings left for him. I'm numb. I don't know how I got here. I don't, I've been doing the best I can to raise these kids. I, I just don't know what happened. How did I get here? What would you have me to do? How do we incarnate the gospel in this context? I, I took over a church uh, by the grace of God. Again, everything I had time to tell you, my journey and my story, certainly by the time I was 20 years old, uh, this would have been the last thing I would have ever done. Really would have. The last thing. Not only just coming back to Jersey, but a whole lot of other things. But pastor a church like this, in this state, in a community like this, with people like this, with all my baggage and dysfunction and... And, and, and ten years ago, by the grace of God, uh, I, couldn't even, I can't even figure it out. How God arranged it, one thing led to another, and I'm in front of these people, and God is bringing this partnership together... And uh, I, I, but, but so many ways they have lived these questions out. I, a small congregation, 25, 30 people at that time, uh, who, who in many ways had every reason to quit. Really, every reason to quit. Or at least every reason to just live in the past. If you read Job 29, chapter 2, verse 2 there in the same chapter, 
Job, Job reflects on his past. He starts this off with this, with this deep, you know, talk, you know, this deep inquiry into his past. And, and, and I know how tempting that is when we find ourselves, like Job, in crisis. And certainly this, this, this small congregation had every reason to quit or to, to, to just live in the past. I mean, the carpenters who built the building, and they did. They built a fine building. They were, they were the carpenters who built it. Most of them uh, uh, had, had either died off or, or moved away. And, you know, when you build something, that really means something. They're, they're all gone now. Who's going to really care for it at that level? The heroes of the church. And the church, man, the more you hear the stories, it's about, our church is about 75 years old now. They were just tremendous heroes of that church from the earliest days. People who championed the cause of Christ and cared and had compassion. Most of them had either died off or, or moved away. Uh, a church that... At one time, the joke, they still tell me the joke was up until the 60s or 70s, be careful who you dated because you might have been dating a relative in that church. That's how, that's how rich the harmony was. <laughs> uh, had, had now experienced a season where the harmony had, had dwindled away. No longer an easy place. I had one person who, who uh, told me a year or two after I'd been there, he said, I got to tell you, it had been a couple years here before you got here and things we were going through, said, I would literally be driving my car to a meeting at the church saying, Lord, is there a way I can have an accident, not get hurt, not do too much damage to this car, but I can have an accident on the side of the road and miss this meeting. He said, that it would have been more tolerable for me to do that than to go to another meeting. And yet, by the grace of God, they didn't let bitterness take root. They didn't let bitterness take root. You know, that, that's, that, again, life is complicated. Woe is the person who never owns up to the fact sometimes the harmony is not going to be as sweet. And sometimes we're going to have big disagreements as Christians. But, but, but as Christians, there's a way we can deal with that. By the grace of God, they, they, they did not let bitterness take root. And I believe the fruit we're seeing today is, 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 is partly due to that. And here, here, by God's grace, I can't even figure out the details of how I end up there. And, and uh, you know, we're all looking and saying, we don't have enough money to survive, even if we did have a great plan. And lo and behold, the story's told of a gentleman who had been in that church for many, many years, had worked for a, uh, he was a chauffeur uh, in town and had worked for some folks, uh, I guess some more folks, and he lived in the chauffeur's residence on the property and never married, lived to be 70s, 80 years old. And uh, not too many years earlier, I guess maybe 10, 15 years earlier or whatever, he had passed away and it never told anybody, and they found out after he had passed away, that he had saved his money because he lived in the chauffeur's quarters, ate their food, and all those years he'd worked, he'd basically just saved his money. And he had willed it to the church. And it had become a sacred cow, essentially, to that church because this guy had done that. And so the, the model in that church for 15, 20 years with that money was it was going to be saved for a rainy day. This guy who went to glory all these years, saving, not telling a soul, I'm leaving this for the next generation, perhaps, or however God wants to use it. And, uh, well, calling me there was, I guess, not only a rainy day, it was thunder and lightning as well. <laughs> but here we were in that season as we're looking, saying, we're going to go, and they said, you know what, we're going to take this sacred cow, and we're going to spend it. And when it's gone, if God hasn't provided, 
we'll close the doors. And I said, I'm in it with you. That's what God has told me to do to be here. I guess I'll be here till, till he tells us otherwise. And to just begin to see, I mean, th- stories like that are humbling to me. I can still barely tell that story without, without, you know, getting overwhelmed because I feel like, God, you had planned this out long before me. And this, this humble group of people, and, and all they were doing at that point in time was asking questions. Do we go on? How did we get here? They didn't, they didn't, we don't know how we got here, but we're here. Lord, what would you have us to do? And then we begin to ask that question, God, how can we incarnate the gospel? Put flesh to the gospel. And, and in 10 years, again, I, 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 don't, I, it, I wish I had precise answers, and I could tell you I had Greek charts and all that. I tried that, I think, my first year, and it didn't make sense to them or me. So we, we went away from that, but God bless those who were good at that. But by the grace of God, I believe God just honors his people. Even as I think when God shows up to Job later, and yes, he has some rebuke for Job, but he, he, he talks about when, he comes, when God shows up in chapter uh, 38 there, he, he, he tells Job's friends that he, his wrath is turned toward them. He doesn't say that to Job. So I believe he honors Job for all those tough questions he asked and seeking. Yes, Job, Job he, you know, he said, Job, you, don't, you didn't know half of what you thought you know. But asking good, hard, tough questions with faith, God was okay with that. And I, I just think that's for where you're at as a church, for where I'm at, and where the body of Christ is at here in this country today. And if we're going to be churches that can be like Job, have influence. Have influence. The media is not going to help us. The hypocrites in the church, which everybody in my community, that's the reason why they don't want to go to church, is because all the hypocrisy in the church, and I have to agree sometimes. It's going to take a faithful witness, our integrity and our authenticity preceding us. And, and just in small ways and in big ways, I, I, I've seen God just honor a group of people who, who, who opened their hands and said to him, Lord, we're going to, we're going to take this step of faith. We're going to trust you. We're going to, we're going to ask these questions. How did we get here? What would you have us to do? And how can we incarnate, put flesh to the gospel? in our context that had changed greatly. I've seen retirees uh, get reinvigorated in 10 years. In fact, if it wasn't for the retirees and seniors in our church, we wouldn't have made it. But got reinvigorated, embraced something, you know, embraced something very indifferent and began to, to serve and inspire the next generation, mentoring and tutoring and, and coaching. Guys who thought a basketball was square for 60 years. Now coaching boys just, just because they trusted the Lord and said, God, I, I want to be used by you. We had a guy in our church. Uh, he's, he's been in now after about seven or eight years, and the harmony was there, and we were loving each other, how God uses small and big things at times. Uh, a gentleman in town came and found our church about three or four years ago. And... Uh, I could tell right away when I met him that he, he, he was intense. He was passionate. He was very passionate for young people, and particularly the young people in our part of town that's becoming low income and feeling that the town was, was neglecting them. And he saw this because he grew up in a different town, but he, he was one of those kids. And come to find out, he told me, he said, I haven't missed in 15 years I'd lived in this town. I haven't missed a school board meeting or, or a town uh, council meeting. He hadn't missed. He could count on one hand how many he'd missed in 15 years. And, and in every one of those he'd been at, he'd uh, made his way uh, up to the microphone just to let them know 
that they weren't doing. And, and he was a Christian. And I firmly believe, I know him now, he, he is a Christian and was a Christian. Uh, but in his, his own words now, after a few, he says, I realize I was stuck in the 1960s in terms of how to deal with some of this. Uh, shortly after he comes to our church, I get a letter, an anonymous letter. He hadn't been in our church for a month or so. He hadn't even joined. He just was coming, helping, volunteering with the young people. And uh, I get a letter, uh, and it was an anonymous letter, but someone was warning me about him, saying he's a troublemaker, if you will. And they dug up, uh, I guess he had got arrested when he was a teenager, and they actually had got dug up this thing where he was arrested for a typical teenage silliness thing. They had dug that up and attached that to the letter to warn me. And he's in his 50s. saying, you know, you need to be aware of this gentleman. Well, with all of his passion and intensity, and he, he, he now, he can tell the story better than I did, but he began to hang around and, and just see young people that he thought the town was forgetting and ignoring, and we'd have a hundred of them sometimes in our building on a Friday night. We do a Friday night safe haven, youth worship, junior and senior hires, and just seeing them loved on, he was surprised to see them coming in with worship service, and these were the kids who, who he thought were the outcasts, who the school had labeled. And he's going, wait a minute, you guys got them here. You not even got them here, you got them in Bible study. You got a Bible, you got structure. They're saying these kids can't handle structure. And he sees it. And, and even more importantly, he sees other adults who were very unlike him, who he had grown in his own words. Now, I realized I had begun to grow a real, real bitterness toward. Love him, just, just love him in the name of Jesus. Watch us love each other. Very different people, me different. Again, we're an intergenerational church, a multiracial church. And, and he's just seeing this, this love happen. And people just reach out and care for him. And he's seeing, you know, that you can spend a lot, you know, waste a lot of energy arguing with unbelievers in town meetings and get nowhere. And yet take what little resources you have sometimes as the people of God, bond together in love, and just love on those you think are needy. And it just, it transformed. He talks, tells the story now, three, four years later, he's now willing to confess that how he had become bitter, he had lost hope, he had become disillusioned about the church, that there could really be real unity, that the church could really have real impact. A, a lady in my church shortly had to come, one of the town officials actually spoke to her and said, that guy's trouble, you watch that. I've now seen that lady and she has publicly said it. He has been so transformed in the three years he's been in our church, I watch, she looks for him now at the football games and goes and stands with him, her and her husband. And she's an unbeliever. Because of the transformation in his life. This church of, we were 50 then, maybe we're 70, 75 now, over 400 young people and families in our community every year hearing a clear presentation of the gospel. We, are, we have a model. We only do a few things well. because we, That's all we can do. And what we mean by that is, you know what, we may miss it on a lot of things. But we want to be very clear that Jesus is the only way of salvation. We may mess up everything else, but we want to be very clear on that. We want to be very clear that we're going to love each other. Imperfectly, but we're going to love each other. We're going to try to live out that love. The mayor comes in our building three or four years ago, and, he, and somehow or another he hears about this church. He's, his back was against the wall because of all these things happening with the police. Comes in thinking it's a big church, and it's 40, 50 people. There's 15 of us guys or whatever doing all this loving on the young people. And he's blown away. An unbelieving mayor. Blown away at the demonstration. He says, wait a minute, that's old, that's young, that's very different. I know what community he's from. I know what community he's from. It's very different. How are you guys getting along? 
because of Jesus. The power of the gospel. Now a high school group, we, for eight, eight of my ten years here, we just we basically did a lot of loving on kids and giving them the gospel, but really couldn't do much discipleship just for our resources. In the last, just because of our lack of resources. In the last two years or so, we've been able to start doing some discipleship. And word is now out. I mean, I had asked Mike from the time I got to town, I would ask high schoolers, tell me what it's like at the high school. We have a pretty big high school in our town. Tell me what it's like. Do you see Christians sitting together at the lunch table? Is there any evidence of a distinct group of young people who are really living for Christ? And kids would say, not at all. And now in the last two years, the Christians, the young people who by God's grace are coming to our facility, being able to take them to another level, and they're starting to stick together at school and and these are some of these who are outcasts. We've, we've got school administrators who have called us and said, you, you, you can call and ask us for anything. We'll give you any information because of the impact you're having on the kids that everybody had labeled the influence. And it was just all a few people who years ago opened their hands, opened their hearts, and asked some questions. How did we get here? They knew they got there by grace, by faith, their own stories. But God had worked in the past, and they believed he would work in the future. God, what would you have us to do? Not really sure. How can we put flesh to the gospel? Maybe it's an immigrant. Maybe it's single mothers, pregnant teens, homeless, whatever it may be. If we will come and open our hearts and say, Lord, I'm really here, not playing a game. I want to be used. I want us to be used. In this generation, God will be faithful to his will. May God bless you. I'm going to, ask for, I'm going to pray a word of prayer and I'm going to invite Barry to do that. Lord, I just thank you so much for who you are, what you've done for us in Christ. I pray for this church. I pray for everyone here. Perhaps someone's here who doesn't know you this morning. I pray that the gospel, the wonder of Jesus Christ, would be real to them right now. And then for this congregation, that your hand of favor would continue to be upon the leaders and upon this congregation as they seek to do your will. Bless them. Bring great testimonies of your grace and your power in the days, weeks, months to come. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to close the service singing the song that we sang during the offering, God of the City. Now you understand why that song was chosen. And uh, sing it with real meaning in your heart after we've heard Pastor Zach's Zach's really inspiring and challenging message to us all.